again, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm your host, Jay Crawford, and as you know, we sit down every week with a great Cleveland Brown, and this week, thrilled to be joined by Webster Slaughter. Webster, you look great. Thanks so much for taking time with us. How you been? I've been great, and thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here today. Glad to be back in Cleveland and visit you guys a little bit. Cleveland is glad to have you back. Um, when I mention to fans that I'm getting ready to sit down and talk to you, they all light up and they all remember you so fondly for your time here. And when I started researching your history, I, th the stat says six years. It felt like so much longer. It did to me too. You know, I felt like I'd been here a whole career. But, uh, and, and the season, the, the city made it that way. You know, the fans, me and him, we had a good relationship with the fans, uh, involving them in some of the stuff we did on the field and everything. And uh, I just, we just got a kick out of it. I want to start by asking you what it was like to be a member of the Cleveland Browns and, and living in Cleveland in the late 80s and early 90s. What was that like? Well, first, when I came here, I had no clue about anything about football. I didn't start playing football till my senior year of high school. So when I first got here, uh, the NFL thing was brand new to me. Mm -hmm. And I just really didn't know how to put, uh, encompass myself around it and everything. But once I got here, all of the uh, other players, they kind of welcomed me in, the coaches welcomed me in, the city welcomed me in. And it was the greatest thing I'd ever in, um, in, was involved with at that time. Right. So, what was it like for a California kid? Um, you played high school and junior college and your college ball in California. What, what was your first reaction when you heard you were drafted by the Cleveland Browns and you'd be moving to Ohio, probably a place you'd never been before? First thing I thought was it's going to be cold. <laughs> you know, I remember the first practice I was out here when it was cold. I had my hands around my arms like this, and everybody looked at me and knew I was from California. But, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I thought it would be a place because I heard a lot of stories about Cleveland that it would be a place that I didn't like, I wouldn't like. Uh, and I'm telling you, I just learned to love this place from the first year that I was here. Why did people tell you you wouldn't like Cleveland? Well, they said, you know, they, the stuff they still say now, probably it's a dirty city or just nothing going on there. You know, you're going to be bored here. It's going too cold for you. And all that stuff, man, I embraced. I, I enjoyed the, the work ethic of not only the players when we got here, but the city. You know, and I just enjoyed the... the this, this is my type of city, to be honest with you. Yeah, even though you're a Cali kid. Yeah, well, I used to be a Cali. <laughs> I'm not there anymore, but yeah. When you came to Cleveland, um, you had all these negative things that people were telling you about it. How long did it take you, Webster, before you realized none of that was true? It didn't take me long at all, to be honest with you. Just, just meeting the guys, uh, the camaraderie that they had instantly. Uh, pulling me in, you know, I did have some a couple hiccups uh, first starting out, but maybe a couple months into the uh, season, I start to feel at home again. Yeah. What were your hiccups? Oh, I had a couple run-ins with some guys. You know, I had my mind set on a certain thing. Uh, a story, a funny story, I'll tell you. Like I said, I didn't know anything about football, so when I came here, I heard some other stories that you know these these veterans are going to try to take advantage of you. Make sure you don't allow them to do it, because if you do it, they do it one time, they'll do it two times. And so uh, I didn't know anybody, I didn't know anybody playing football, I didn't know no names, because I never watched football. So when I got here, the first meeting we had, I sat down uh, in this chair, 
big meeting room, offense on one side, defense on the other side. And I sat in this uh, chair, and then this big guy comes up to me and he says, hey, rookie, this is my chair. I said, well, there's a chair there, there's a chair there, but I sat here first and uh, I'm not moving. And so I kind of put my feet up and, <laughs> and I, one of the defensive players stood up and said, hey man, that's Ozzie Newsom, man, this is his chair. I, and I was, so I, don't, I don't know who it is, I don't care who it is, there's a chair there and there's a chair there. And uh, I didn't get up by the seat and, and Ozzie, such a great guy that Ozzie is, he went and sat somewhere else. He did. Yeah. And so, uh, but I got called up to Coach Schottenheimer's office and said, hey, the veterans have their seats. You got to stay. I said, well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. It was, and that's the, one, that's the only one thing really I regret is that because Ozzie Newsom is probably the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. And I didn't know who he was. I was just protecting myself. <laughs> right. And, and uh, I didn't get out of his uh, seat. But, but what he How did do. How do you think that impacted the way your teammates viewed you? I'm sure right away they, they thought this, this guy is going to be trouble. But what happened was uh, Ozzie had me now for every single game we played my rookie year, I had to wait in the locker room until he was ready to go out and I had to put his jersey on. And so he, and it was. That was your punishment. Yeah, but there was a certain time I was supposed to have been out at the field. And so I would tell Ozzy, you know, well, can I go out? Because I got to be, he said, I'm not ready yet. You know, so I'd have to wait until he got ready. And I, and I got in trouble a couple of times, but he was, he was a really nice guy. That's quite a story that well, you can tell people. There's a lot of those, believe me, my rookie year. Well, let me tell you one more then while, while I'm thinking about it. Um, just kind of kind of uh, angst that maybe the players had against me when I first got there. Uh, first couple practices, uh, me being here, uh, the teams were running plays and stuff like this, and they were having trouble. You know, they, they, they weren't being very successful. And Schottenheimer said, get me a receiver in there. So I jump in there, you know, I'm ready to go. And in the middle of the huddle, somebody tapped me on my shoulder and says, hey, I got it. I said, no, I got it. You know, he said, no, I got it. He said, no, I got it. it was Brian Brennan. <laughs> and uh, we're in the huddle. They haven't even called the play yet. Everybody's looking at me and Brian going back and forth. We got it. I got it. And I said, no, man, I, I was here first. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and again, I got called up to Schottenheimer's office, and he said, you know, Webster, you know, the, the uh, veterans, he said, you keep working for your starting position, but hey, they, they got to go with the first you. And I said, I didn't know, Marty. You said we get a receiver in there, I got, a, I got in there. And so that's another story that Brian Brennan thinks, even today, that I did that purposely. He didn't know that I, you know, I didn't know nothing about the system and anything. I always find it endearing, and I've talked to other longtime veterans about this. When a rookie comes into the league and literally has no knowledge of the league's history or the players that are in it. Right. And hearing you say that, I'm fascinated by the fact that you truly didn't know who Ozzie Newsom was. I did not. I didn't know anybody. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know anybody. Do you think that helped you or hurt you? I think it probably helped me, to be honest with you. because, Why? Well, well, because once I got on the field, I didn't have any, like for instance, my, my rookie year going up against Lester Hayes. You know who Lester Hayes was? <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm confident that I can beat this guy. I don't care who he is. 
and uh, I, I was pretty successful against him. But, you know, if I'd have had all that stuff running through my head, oh, man, this is Lester Hayes, you know, how would I have reacted to him? Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns, performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone Dueler tires boast up to an 80,000-mile limited warranty, so they're in it for the long haul because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com warranty for details. I want to go back to uh, something you said earlier. You said that um, you didn't play football till your senior year in high school? My senior year in high school. And, and really the only way I got to play was I was in a gym class playing basketball. And was that your thing? Yeah, I loved basketball more than even football, even when I was playing. But, uh, but uh, so one of the uh, coaches came in, saw me playing basketball, and asked me to come out. For the football team, of course, back then I was about 145 pounds, and uh, so he, they had to convince me to come out. But and you never played. Never played, uh, uh, and end up that year as a senior, I uh, made the all-star team, the only only player on my team to make the all-star team, and uh, I was on a team that though had the second longest losing streak in the country, <laughs> so I, I didn't get many looks. So you were colleges. the best player on the worst team, right? But, uh, but when I, did you realize you were good at this? Well, when I had left high school, I was actually going uh, to college to play baseball. Now, basketball is my sport. Uh, I'm going to school to play baseball, uh, and I got talked out of it to come to junior college to play football. Wow. And so that's how I got to. Uh, so you must have been a pretty good baseball player. I, I was pretty good. Of the good. three, do you feel that football was your calling? You know, I had a great career with football, but still, foot, uh, still basketball, man, was my uh, was my thing. I mean, I I I'd score sixty points in a minute. You know. Do, do you wonder how things might have changed or turned out differently had you taken the basketball route? I do, but you know, you know what happened to me and why I got off of the basketball path was when I was at junior college. Well, I had. Uh, promised the head coach that I was going to leave baseball and I would come to junior college to play uh, football. And he had promised in about two years I would get a scholarship to a major university. And so my, my idea was to go and play basketball also. So when I went to the first basketball practice, the basketball coach said, well, you can only play either basketball or football. This was at the junior college? Yeah, the junior college. And uh, I'd already promised this guy that I was going to play football, so I just didn't play basketball. You kept your word. Yeah, and so I uh, played there. I did play a little bit of baseball, but I, I quit that pretty fast, too. Yeah. So you realize while you're in junior college that you can be pretty good at this football thing, yes, and, it, and now you're being recruited by some Division I schools. Tell us how you ended up eventually at San Diego State. Well, I took, you get five trips. I took all of my trips. Uh, San Diego State was going to be my last one. Right before then, I went to University of Tennessee, and I'd already made up my mind, I'm, I'm going to University of Tennessee. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, I had a good, good uh, recruiting trip. And uh, so I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to go to San Diego, you know, uh, have fun. Yeah. And so, man, I get I got out there and saw you had too the, much fun. Yeah, <laughs> the weather and all that's going on at the facilities and uh, the coaches and all of that. And I, 
ended up changing my mind and ended up at San Diego State, which was probably the best uh, decision I've made. I met my wife there, so. Life-altering. Amen. Do you ever look back and wonder what would have happened had you chosen baseball or basketball? Do you think you could have carried either of those to professional ranks or no? Certainly, certainly basketball. Well, certainly both, I think I would have. A lot of people don't know this, but I played five games uh, in a semi-pro league for baseball, and, and I batted 500 in those five games before having to go back and play football again. So you, were you at that and point? And I hadn't played baseball in 10 years. Were you at that point considering if it worked out to leave football altogether and go baseball? I did. I, I, don't, you guys, I guess you guys don't know, but when I was here and, I was, and the, the uh, Indians used to work out mm -hmm. in here. So when I was going through this dispute, I used to work out with those guys, Albert, Albert Bell and all those guys. Yeah. And so one day my agent calls me and says, the Indians are considering signing you. And about a week later, I said, okay, cool. You know, I'm in a dispute, but in uh, about a week later, he called me back. He said, well, then they're not going to do it now because I guess they talked to Modell and there was an issue with them and they said they decided they're not going to do it. Art didn't want them poaching their guy. And, uh, well, especially, you know, I was, I was holding out at that time. Sure. So I had a little leverage if, if they did that. What was your draft day experience like? It's so different now. The draft is such a high-produced glitz and glamour affair. You were, a, you were a high draft pick in the second round, but I'm guessing it was a little different then, the whole draft experience. Well, and it was so long. You know, I'm going to tell you, when I got drafted, I was sleeping. I, we all, <laughs> I, my mom and them came down to uh, San Diego State. We went over a friend's house, and we were all watching. I got through about the first round, and I just went to sleep. And then when they called me and they said, hey, the Browns are on the phone, I picked up the phone and uh, uh talk to him, tell him I was coming there. But, but yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't as exciting for me as it probably is nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Were you hopeful that, that the Chargers would call your name? Uh, not really. Um, I had, before the draft, uh, the uh, Dallas Cowboys said that if they didn't take Sherrard in the first round, they were going to take me in the first round. So I thought maybe the Dallas Cowboys might, but when, once they, picked, they did pick Sherrard, yeah. uh, uh, I didn't know where I would go. When I had the visit with the Browns, they were to bring me down before the draft, I missed the plane. And so I remember them calling me saying, did you really miss the plane or did you just <laughs> didn't want to be here? I said, no, I really missed the plane. Uh, so anyway, I didn't know if I would end up here. Paul Warfield scouted you and was very high on your skill set and strongly recommended that the Browns call your name in the second round. What kind of interaction did you have with Paul before the draft? Again, I didn't know anybody. Paul Warfield came to my school, and he sat with me, and we were watching film together. And you had no idea that he's a Hall of Famer. Talking to me, asking me different questions. And, and I remember him saying, though, after the thing, he said, boy, you, you answered the, the questions really good. You answered all the questions. You, you, know, did, you said you were going to do this for the right reasons. And uh, it wasn't until he left San Diego State while I was on the phone talking to somebody back in the Browns. They said, well, you know, that was Paul Warfield, a Hall of Famer. I didn't have a clue, but, <laughs> but uh, I, was, uh, I was grateful uh, that he was so high on me. What was going through your mind when you ran through that first NFL tunnel and realized what a big deal this is? Yeah, well, well, not only that, even the first practice, you know, going through junior college and then 
course, all the other players that you're playing with, they're all inspiring to come, aspiring to come to the NFL. So they're talking about it. And so now here I am, somebody from Stockton, California, that's barely played a little bit of football and standing on the football field, calling myself an NFL player. It was pretty cool. You know, once <laughs> I realized, I'm like, wow. Do you remember your first trip through the tunnel for your very first regular season game? Well, you know what? My very first game uh, in the NFL was against the world champion Chicago Bears oh, wow. uh, in 86. They, were, they had won the Super Bowl. And so we came and we played in Chicago. My mom flew down. She was there. And uh, it was a big scoring game. I think it was like 40-something to 30-something. And they just barely uh, nipped us. And I had a pretty good game uh, against them. Do you remember a play or a moment? Because everybody has a little bit of doubt in their mind whether or not they truly belong at this level. Do, do you remember a specific play or moment where that clicked to you and you said, yep, I can do this? You know, I, honestly, I knew that coming in. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Al Bubba Gross, who used to play here, we both went to the same same high school. Uh, and so coming in, uh, he was one of the guys, too, that said, you know, the, the Minifield and, and Dixon, you know, they're going to be trying to get up in you and say this and that. And so I said, well, you, I told him, I said, don't worry about it. I said, I'm ready for it. And so he, he told me then, he told, I heard him tell somebody else that I ain't had to worry about Webster. You know, he's, he, he's ready to go. So I, I was just, I was a competitor. Maybe I didn't know how to do certain things, but I knew that my competitiveness would overcome all of that eventually. And you'd figure it out. Yes, sir. Where did that confidence come from? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I spent all my summers in the gym in the summer. Uh, I, I lived right across the street from the, the neighborhood gym. And I stayed in there playing basketball from about 8 in the morning until 8 at night. What kind of game did you have? What, what, were you a point guard? I, I was uh, uh, Michael Jordan-esque as far as driving to the basket, all the... Dribble you know, drive. Yeah, all the up, over. I can see you having some flash on year. your way to the and hole. So um, I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was pretty good. When you came here, um, it was an interesting time for the franchise because they were just beginning to turn that corner and be relevant. What was that like for you as you saw the city really start to swell with pride and back you guys each and every Sunday? Well, again, I never knew what, was, what happened before right. with the Cleveland Browns. I remember someone asking me uh, or saying, you know, you guys have never beat uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know? And I said, well, you know, I've never lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> and so I didn't really know about their history. I was just glad to be in the moment. All my thoughts was, as a rookie, were, you know, win the starting position, win the starting position. Yeah. So I was just focused and locked in on trying to do that. How long did it take you before you were named the starter? Well, I held out uh, for a little bit, a couple weeks, I think. I don't even remember. But, but uh, I started the very first game against the uh, Chicago Bears. So, yeah. yeah. Do you remember your first catch? Uh, yeah, I only, I think I had four catches in that game, and I, th I remember all of them, to be honest with you. Uh, one, I should have scored. I caught a little hitch, turned up the sideline, ran all the way up, and I had these knee braces on because my knees were, were aching me at that time, so I wore these knee braces, and when I got to, like, the two-yard line, I tripped and <laughs> fell down right before, and the guy touched me, yeah. There were so many memorable plays, um, during your years. 
what is the one play, if you had to put it into a video vault and say, this is the play I want to show my grandkids or future Browns fans what Webster Slaughter was all about, what play would you pick and why? Well, uh, on Monday night, I had a 97-yarder, mm -hmm. and it was a Monday night NFL record at that time. So I would probably uh, show that one. There, yeah. there was many that I would think about. There's also one my rookie year uh, against the Jets when we were coming back. I made a one-hand catch with like 36 seconds left. Uh, and against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I caught a long pass to win in overtime. In overtime. And, uh, That's so, the one I think of. And yeah. I, think, I think a lot of Browns fans remember that fondly because it was overtime and because it was Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I actually had a dream about that catch the night before. You did? Yeah, and, and actually happened exactly like uh, it did in the dream. So it, it, was, it was a trip. That's pretty crazy. It was. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on these particular games. And I'll start with the drive. What, what, what's your remembrance of that? Well, that was my rookie year, if, if I remember right. And I got hurt in like the first quarter. And so I had to leave the game. And uh, I was watching it from inside the locker room. And uh, I, I remember uh, BB catching that pass, getting up and running in. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to the Super Bowl. And then uh, Elway comes out on the field with two minutes, something left. I remember, I think it was something on the drive. It was a, it was a fourth and 18. Or there fourth. were a couple long conversions. Yeah. One was, I think, fourth and 17 or and something. Was, and I was just thinking, oh, just stop him right here. And obviously we didn't. And then the last throw that he made for the touchdown barely went over Carl Harrison's fingers. And so, uh, man, that just killed me inside. But, you know, at that time I was a rookie, so I was thinking, okay, that's the first time we'll get another chance. Yeah. Yeah. So often players don't. Um, but you found yourself the very next year back in the very same spot, needing to beat Denver to get to the promised land. What do you remember about the fumble game? I remember us being down at halftime by quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember Ernest Biner bringing us back, putting us on his back and, and, and bringing us back. That's what I remember. Uh, and then I remember uh, the pain that he was in uh, when he did uh, fumble the ball. You know, everybody fumbles the ball. It happened to him at an inopportune time. But to be honest with you, we'd have never even been in that game if it wasn't for Ernest Biner. I hate that he had to leave here, possibly because of that. I don't know. But uh, I'm glad that he went somewhere else and he won the Super Bowl. Do you remember what you said to him, if anything? Um, I, I don't remember what I said to him, but I know that I was consoling him and, and letting him know how much I appreciated him. In fact, I, I saw him not too long ago, and I just reiterated that. Man, you know, I, I really appreciated playing with him and him being the kind of leader that he was for our team. Yeah, the truth is the team wouldn't have been in the position they were without him. Not at all. I mean, if you look at all the people playing you see how hard that guy was playing uh, second, second and a half? I mean, he was just going to the wall for us. What was your immediate thought when you saw the ball on the ground? Oh, no. You know, because I didn't immediately see the ball. I was going to get the safety, but I saw the corner 
kind of react the way that he shouldn't have reacted. He came off. And so what happened was the ball, it was called as an inside play, which takes me to the safety. But what happened was Ernest jumped outside. Of course, of course, there was nowhere to go. He jumped outside, and that made the corner react. And it was like, wow. So I went to, and I, I just saw everybody. And so I started looking around, see the ball. I said, oh, no. So it was unfortunate, um, um, but I'm sure nobody felt more pain than uh, Ernest Biner. Is there one that hurts particularly more for you between the drive and the fumble? Um, they all hurt, but uh, I, maybe the first one because I wasn't a part of it. Uh, I, I think I could have made a difference in that game. I think uh, I, my first catch was went for 20 yards, and then I went out on that play uh, with a a dislocated shoulder, and I think I could have made a difference, but but all of them hurt, man. You know, uh, not even just here, but there was other situations in other teams. Sure. You know that I've played uh, in the same type of situation, and the same thing happened. So, what was it about Cleveland's fan base you think that makes it a little a little different from anywhere else? You know, I don't know. It's it's uh it's hard to describe because I played on five different teams. How does it compare the fan base from Cleveland to? Well, the I was going to say it's it's incomparable. It's 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 uh, I don't even know how to describe it. But when I went to Kansas City, uh, and they did the the anthem, and at the end they say "Home of the Braves," you know, I didn't know they were going to say that, and I jumped and like, wow, you know, this this fan base is something else. But even that didn't compare to the feeling that I had playing with with the Browns. You know, I just felt. I don't know, man. It felt like felt like we were going to war, and, and everybody, all of the fans were coming with me. You know, it just felt good to be out on the on the field and play in front of a, a ruckus crowd that was 100% behind their team. You guys had flash. Um, I was talking to I can't remember which former player it was about you, and they said the funny thing about Webster was he played with so much flash, but in real life you weren't a flashy guy. Yeah, I wouldn't say flash. I mean, that I, maybe they, they saw it as that, but I don't know. Flash, maybe um, um, passion. Passion. That, that's a good word for me because uh, that's exactly. I wanted to make sure from snap one to snap the last one that I was giving them everything I had. And so, and I wanted to, the, my opponent to feel that too. So That's why Cleveland loved you. You guys had so many cool traditions. The one thing that I remember about that team, and this is one of the reasons why I think some players or fans remember you as being a flashy guy. First of all, you always looked like you were ready for the show. Yes, sir. Um, but secondly, the orange cleat thing was over-the-top cool. I remember the first time I saw it, just thinking that might be the coolest thing I've ever seen Amen. on an NFL field. The story is you and Met came up with that. Is that is that the how it began? No, I actually came up with it, but it was just an extension of what I was doing before. You know, when even when I was in junior college, I would always do little things to dress up my uniform. Right. And uh, this was just one of those things. Uh, Monday night, I said, you know what, I'm a, I'm gonna dress my uniform up, put my my orange shoes, and I and, I, and I, then Metcalf wanted me to paint his, painted his, and I think a couple other guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the, right after that game, the NFL came down on us a little bit, and they said, you know, if you're going to, you can only do that if the whole team does it. 
So I don't know if you guys know this, but in that in the AFC championship game, you saw all a lot of guys wearing those orange cleats. I was in the locker room before the game, the day before the game, with a towel around my head, painting everybody's shoes, you know. And so uh, 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 they called me the Earl Shy by the NFL back then. You were revolutionary now. Guys in their cleats now, it's getting guys in trouble. Yeah, they are. But uh, it was fun, man. And it was fun to even go back now, look at the tape, and you see those orange shoes running down the field. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000 mile limited warranty. Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. What would you say to <clears throat> members of the dog pound during those late 80s and early 90s years? There was such a love affair between them and the players. I, I would say that uh, we, we appreciate you guys so much. I mean, you, you drove us so much. You, 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 you kept my heart pumping for sure. Uh, even in even in losing battles, you know, they were the drive that we had uh, every time we came here. We enjoyed. I I, I absolutely loved every time we played in the uh, Cleveland Stadium, yeah. and it was because of the dog pound and the rest of the fans that were there in the city of Cleveland. It's quite a home field advantage. Uh, we 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 loved it, e even off the field, throughout in the community. Uh, we, we got showed so much love by the city, and I appreciated that. What were those times like when you would just go out on a random night uh, in Cleveland? What, what was the reaction from Browns fans as you would go through Cleveland into restaurants, into bars, and different things? Well, that's, what I, that's it. You know, after the game, everybody's usually celebrating. So everybody's inebriated and, and oh, I love you, you know, that type of deal everywhere. <laughs> But it was, I, I personally never saw negativity towards us. You know, it was always, you know, we love you Browns and uh, can't wait till this and that. And it was, it was an exciting time for me because I wasn't, no, I didn't know anything about uh, how fans react to football games. But when I got this dose of fans, I was like, wow, this is pretty special. This NFL thing's kind of cool. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you decide at some point that you're going to leave football in your past. What was that process like for you? Was it emotional? It was emotional. I, 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 uh, I cried on the way home, Did to you? be honest with you. Yeah, um, because I had such a great time, man. And, and though I played 12 years, it went by so fast. Everyone says that. It, it seems like it was six years or half of that yeah. time. And so, uh, and, I, and I could have extended it again. But to be honest with you, I felt myself, you know, as far as uh, running the same speed, jumping as high, lifting the same, I can do all of that in you my 12th year. Oh, yeah. It, that, that's not the deal for me. To be honest with you, I think... Um, it's, it's the mentality that changes. And, and, and for young players, get a, get a hold of this because I think it's true that, you know, we train our bodies, this and that, 
my 12th year, I could run just as fast, if not faster. I could lift more, certainly. I could jump higher. When I tested at San Diego Chargers, the last team, I was jumping higher. But my, I knew my mind was different, in fact, that, that it just wasn't into it. When you come in uh, uh, and you play as a rookie and you first start, you're hungry. And so I think, you know, not just training the body, you got to remember to train the mind to also be ready for the work. And I didn't do that always. I always visualized when I was young, but you get to a point where you get comfortable and you start, stop doing the things that made you great. I think players can play longer if they're all continually training their mind. Because I just wasn't into it. I, I didn't have the same passion in the last couple of years that I played. I can still get open, I still can catch the ball, but I just didn't have the same uh, gumption. Uh, same drive to yeah. going. When it was official and you knew that you weren't coming to Cleveland, you were going to be moving to Houston, what emotions were you feeling at that time? Honestly, I was just trying to find another team uh, that threw the ball. Uh, uh, I hadn't really, once, once I decided not to go, uh, to Cleveland, I kind of put it in the back of my mind and just started going forward about trying to get ready for this season and seeing if I can get in and, and make an impact on somewhere else. Was there ever a point after you had left where you wished that you had stayed? Uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, I always wish I would have stayed. You know, I wish I could have finished my career here, but it just wasn't the case. When you look back on your career, you were able to accomplish so much. I think three Pro Bowls. That's a that's a terrific career. Um, how do you want Browns fans to remember Webster Slaughter? Just that that, that I gave 100% every time. You know, in the games, uh, in in the practices, uh, I cared. Uh, I was always a team guy. You know, if somebody's getting in it on the field. Uh, I'm backing my teammate. You know, uh, uh, I just I just that's why I think me and me and Cleveland we're we're a match because I think they're that way. They back us. They backed us all the time. My whole time here, win or lose, I just felt like they always had my back, and uh, I want them to know that I, I've always had their back. I've always had my teammates' back. So, how did you fill the void that football left? Um, my kids, really. I, I, I really that that was the only thing I was involved in. Uh, e immediately being. Uh, retired from the NFL was just diving into them, mm -hmm. man. And I just, uh, and I always wanted, since I could, said that uh, I wanted to be there when they went to school and I wanted to be there when they came back. It's a good deal. And so I was able to do that and I didn't start really doing other things until my son turned into about 10 or 11. Yeah. You know, and so uh, uh, it was easy for me because I was just so involved with them doing so many different things. You do have a new passion in your life. How do you fill your days now? Um, I, I, I've been recently ordained uh, as a minister, and so now I spend a lot of times in senior living facilities uh, going there to you know, speak the Word of God. Uh, my, the thing I love the most is when I get to go to uh, memory care wards. When you read to them the Bible, I see people saying what I'm going to say even before I say it. So that's triggering. Yeah, and so I had a breakthrough this, this last one I just went to last week. I was in the, in the memory care, and the lady came, was sit, sat down, and I was reading the Bible, and then I was 
of course, as I read it, I talk about what it means and this and that. And man, this, this lady just started breaking down crying. Wow. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it because, you know, it's, it's memory care. But, but she, I went over and asked her if she wanted me to pray with her. And she said, oh, please, you know, would you please? And so I knew she understood. And she was saying, I just feel so confused. And, I, and so I, we pray for that. But, but stuff like that lets me know that, that, and one thing I told them, you know, it's my job just to plant the word or to water a word that somebody else has planted, but it's God that's going to bring the increase. And that's why I said, Gee, we'll just come and we'll read because it's not my job to activate that word. God will when he wants to. And that's what happened with that lady. And that's what keeps me keeps me in there. This is your new love, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate Cleveland it. Cleveland still loves you, Webster. Well, I love them back. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Anything else you want to add? Anything I haven't asked you about that you want to touch on? An old story, an old memory of being in Cleveland or anything at all? Please well, feel free I, to do I just it. want to say how appreciative I am, first of all, for all the players that I played with you know, growing for the, all the years uh, that we played, for the, all six years that I stayed here, I enjoyed all of those guys. I want them to know that, that I appreciated them. You know, if I gave them any trouble in the beginning, no, I still, I still love you. Um, uh, and these fans, the best fans. And I'm not just saying that. Um, you know, I've been to five different teams, and I got a chance to see uh, uh, other fan bases. And there are a couple other fan bases that are pretty good, really good. But I've never found one that surpasses the, the joy and the, the uh, I don't even know the word for it, but the way I felt when I played in front of uh, the Cleveland Browns. It was a love affair between the players and the fans, and it went both ways. Hey, man, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Webster Slaughter joining us on Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. Webster, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's great to see you're doing well. Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. Make sure you check us out next week when we sit down with another former great Cleveland Brown. We'll see you then.